Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to the growth, development, and advancement of three key areas in every aspect of our lives, teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi, I am Greg Gregory, the founder and host of the Teamwork Advantage podcast. We're now into our fifth season and growing exponentially at this point. We've gotten downloads recently, as many as 53 countries. We're excited to focus in and help people all around the world on how they can get better at teamwork, leadership, and culture, which, by the way, stems off in other areas, such as how to have better families, how to have better communication with people on your teams. It also goes into how to provide better levels of customer service, and that's so important in so many businesses. Today, we're brought to you with a lot of spirit and enthusiasm, and we're bringing you a guest this year from Long Island, New York. Doug Roberts is joining us, and he's worked with leading ed tech entrepreneurs and district administrators for almost 20 years. He's developed partnerships that improve outcomes for students and help nascent organizations get their, and I love this term, sea legs. As the founder and president of Education Solutions Consulting, Doug found that there was a piece of the puzzle that was missing, and that's so important. A lot of times we know something's missing, but we don't know what it is. In this case, he knew and found what was missing, and that was a barrier between those who actually run the school districts and those who start companies to help school districts. So he partnered with some of the nation's most innovative educational leaders to form IEI, the Institute for Education Innovation, to help bridge that gap. As a recent or as a Princeton graduate, Doug is a former public high school social studies teacher. And I've got stories about my high school social studies teachers we'll have to talk about <laughs> later. He's also an ed tech business development executive and earned his uh, education, master's in education in teaching and curriculum from the Harvard University Graduate School of Education. So first off, Doug, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here, Greg. Great to have you on board here. And it's interesting because I haven't had very many, and I have had a few folks from the education background, but you come to us with a little bit of a different twist on it. You've got the business and the education side of it, which I think is absolutely fascinating. But let's face it, you didn't wake up one day and say, hmm, I'm going to start IEI. So take us a little bit, what got you to where you are a little bit? Uh, you grew up in Long Island. You said you left for a little while and you came back. What got you to where you are today? Sure, thanks. Um, thanks for, for having me and, and for your interest in, in what we do. Um, I guess I've always been one of those people who, uh, if there wasn't the thing that I felt needed to be there, then I would try to build it. Um, and that has been at times quite successful and other times not, which is the entrepreneurs. Uh, no one ever talked, people don't talk enough about the things they do that don't work out. And I think they're just as much a part of the success story as the things that do. Um, mm -hmm, absolutely. So, uh, so I think that that's, that's been what I've been up to 
for for most of my adult life and my my high school life like as a high school kid i was a singer and a musician um and we didn't have a student run singing performing group so i started one in high school um that still actually exists today all these 30 whatever years later so um that that's really that was just the first time that i did that um iei came about because i was heavily involved in the consulting work running this consulting business that helped companies figure out how to how to navigate the phalanx of of school districts not just you know how to sell to them which is hard but how to build their how to how to put the right expectations into their business plans so that they could effectively work with school districts and not expect them to operate like the consumer world does which was a big part of of our work was just sort of teaching these often well-meaning often really pretty the people who tend to start start ed tech companies tend to be very high functioning intelligent folks and so um it's hard it's hard for some people to understand why they can meet with other high functioning intelligent people who run school districts yet they have to move at a much slower pace than we do here in the private sector and it comes down to where the money comes from when it's public money there has to be a public process and uh a lot of our strategy work was helping those 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 founders and entrepreneurs understand how school districts work so uh specifically i figured why don't i create the the opportunity for these conversations to happen directly because i know so many superintendents as i've gotten to know them over the years who would share various feedback and complaints about the industry why does the industry build this when what we need is that why do they send me 4 million emails that i'm never going to read <laughs> why um why why don't i why is it so hard for me to find the thing that we actually need when there are so many people providing these solutions that we don't need and the answer is that there's no um there's no like um sears robuck catalog for everything that a school district needs right there's no um car and driver magazine like if you want to go buy a car there are a few places you can go and figure out which is going to be the right car for for you and your family. Uh, we don't have that. We have we have had places that try to sort of you know review the companies from a kind of uh, private sector standpoint. They're often they've been either connected to or funded by uh, private equity or venture capital investors in ed tech. So there's sort of an agenda there to kind of drive uh, flow for the companies that they're investing in. But um, never a sort of clearinghouse where the people who lead the school districts are driving the discussion. And that, that's what IEI was uh, intended to be. And, you know, part of why what we do looks, it looks like your kind of traditional uh, professional organization gathering. That's just because the way district, the way superintendents work, the job is so all encompassing and so intense and so heavily um, emotional. I mean, it's a very, you have to do a ton of work with, with people in really tough situations, whether you're dealing with political stuff, uh, this past couple of years, strife over masks and now strife over whether there should be armed guards on campus, right? You're always dealing with people in these tough moments or you're dealing with, you know, the toughest cases of um, issues around like, is a kid getting the right services in special education or, um, you know, controversial issues regarding student athletics or 
a student protest. I mean, it, it's such an intense job that, and you've got all these people reporting to you who have many people reporting to them. We don't get their attention on this stuff in the way that we need unless we take them out of that environment and give them a couple of days just to play around and think like innovators. Mm-hmm. We basically, we help the soups sit and, and do kind of entrepreneurial-ish work for a couple of days so they can understand how that side of the equation works and that, that understanding that gets generated plus our analytics-driven matching process help these, these two groups of people, district leaders and founders entrepreneurs connect and have ways to use time that help them both get better at their jobs. That's more or less how, what we built. And we got there because every other way I was trying to do it was not quite as efficient. And, you know, you can only charge clients so much on a retainer and you can only get superintendents who trust you to take so many meetings with you until it's like, okay, Doug, I can't just meet with all of your clients. So we built IEI and my, you're sorry, your original question was about like my background. So I worked for many years at a place called Amplify, which is which was then called Wireless Generation. I was a, a, a sales leader there. And before that, coming out of teaching, I did a lot of like curriculum development stuff. So I sort of, I tried a bunch of different jobs after leaving teaching and, you know, here we are. And that's fascinating how you got there. And your example, I thought, of taking the administrators out of their everyday life for a couple of days it was powerful. So that goes back, and I'm sure you've read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People uh, by Dr. Stephen Covey. Um, Wow, what did they come out in 1983? And habit seven is called sharpen the saw. And it's one of those things that when you try to sharpen your saw, if you're trying to do it while you're working, it's not going to get sharp. Yeah. And what you're doing is taking them out to allow them to sharpen that saw, that entrepreneurial saw, to be able to work with the administrators and the administrators to be able to work with them. Am I about right on that? Yes, except I have to admit, I have not read Covey's book with all respect <laughs> to Dr. Covey. I, I just, I haven't, but I've, I've read like excerpts and you see outlines and, and yes, I totally agree with, with that point. And, you know, I want to make sure the people listening to this understand, you know, school superintendents, when we talk about them kind of sharpening their entrepreneurial skills, this is not because they are going to go make money off of these skills. It's that I think we've started to realize, and we saw during this pandemic, when you had these people playing the most serious game of whack-a-mole you're ever going to see, what, I have to get food delivered to thousands of students in their neighborhoods with closed school buildings and kitchens I can't occupy. I have to make sure all the kids have access to internet because we're going to right like on and on and on as this thing unfolded. I have to shut the school in three days and try to get people educated. Like that was, Mm -hmm. that was entrepreneurial thinking in the moment. You have to pivot quickly. You have to respond to the stimulus and make a decision that has great impact and hope you make the right decision. Talk to your colleagues, try to make sure you get it right. Talk to your board. So I think that kind of, you know, it can be very easy in public education to say, well, on this date, we do this. And, you know, then on Wednesday night, I go to the middle school concert and like, it can become very formulaic. And this group that's with us is anything but, and now they're, they're doing things like, well, what, what did we come out of this pandemic doing better than what we did before? Maybe our schedule should be changed. Maybe we should think about changing the calendar from the old agrarian calendar. And I think the, the ability to kind of think through those big ideas with your colleagues in our community, go back to your board 
and your colleagues and say, hey, everybody, I've got this idea, and then try to sell that, I workshop that idea and sell it if you must. That's an entrepreneurial skill that in this case is being used to try to improve the lives of kids mm-hmm. by the district getting better at what they do. And it requires a leader with vision to make that happen. And entrepreneurial thinking is always part of that. Yeah. And what happens is you get into it. I'm going to use a term here called DevOps, which is development and operations. And in the computer world, there are people who are developing something. There are people who are operating and those two aren't talking. So in your situation, you're talking about people who have got ideas to try and help the school districts, but the school districts are getting the wrong things. And so they're not communicating back and forth. So that's part of the challenge. Am I on the right page there? Yeah. There's also, there has been traditionally a, um, the, the old school public education, I think, regarded um, entrepreneurs as being kind of bad because they're trying to make a buck, but they never consider the people who provide the school bus or the heating oil, right? The stuff that they're mm-hmm. used to having in schools as being entrepreneurial, like those businesses are okay. Mm-hmm. And so I think we've been working to really break that down and help, especially as more and more, we're in a world now where if you've got an idea and you know an uncle with a couple of bucks who can get you started, or you got a couple of bucks in your savings, you can build a viable ed tech business after teaching for seven years. And, you know, we're losing some leadership talent, our, our talent of our pipeline of, of educational leadership talent is leaving us for the private sector. Cause I don't want to wait that. And I'm frankly, one of them. Uh, I was like, well, I could wait this out. I could be a principal in 10 years and then maybe a superintendent in 15 years, or I can go have a leadership role in six months by performing well and that's something that public education kind of has to has to reckon with because the people who stay um, do so out of a great sense of commitment and duty and service and um, and some people have that like I'd like to think I have that I was just in the wrong place wrong mm-hmm. district for me to stay forever right. so you have to commit to an agency an organization for like 10 20 years to become a leader and I think that that um, that's something that I think we're seeing change. And I think we're seeing, you're seeing more boards of education say to their superintendent, you know what, we can't pay you more than this, but we're okay with you doing consulting work on the side up to here, as long as it doesn't impact your, 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 your day, you know, eight to five, we need you kind of on, but if you want to, on the weekend, you want to give a talk or write a book, go knock yourself out. You're seeing more districts understand that this entrepreneurial piece has to become more a part of, of how we lead in our schools, because it's, it's what our kids need. It's what, that's the world they're going to step into. Yeah. And that's, that applies in so many different aspects of business. I mean, when we stop to think about it, getting the entrepreneurial spirit. Now I used to use a term that we have entrepreneurial mindset and a bureaucratic mindset. And so there are entrepreneurs with a bureaucratic mindset and their business fails miserably. There are also those who have an entrepreneurial mindset in a bureaucratic environment and they thrive. If they don't get frustrated. If they don't get frustrated. Right. But if they still got the entrepreneurial spirit, they're kind of reinventing it all the time. And yeah. that's, that's what happens with the pandemic. They understood what they had to change. They realized what they needed to do to make that change. And then if that change wasn't right, they were okay with it by making a correction. And yeah. that I think has been, that's what entrepreneurs are really, really good at 
Whereas the bureaucrats, okay, this is what we need to do. They go all in with that and they don't know what to do if it doesn't work. Right. And so I think you're, you're seeing a kind of uh, a, a course correct. Mm-hmm. And I think you're seeing, you're seeing districts start to realize that we can, we can have two different kinds of leaders. If we have a kind of more bureaucrat superintendent, then we should have a chief academic who is pretty kind of, you know, innovative and trying new things. We see that with our districts too. We have some of our members, our member districts, the superintendent says, you know what, you go like to a deputy, like you go represent us there because this is more your thing. And I think that that um, there are some who wouldn't, who wouldn't want to um, show a deputy the keys to the kingdom that you get to go to these cool events and sit around and play with like this one we're doing uh, in a few weeks in Newport, Rhode Island, we're, we're literally, I'm having them sit in software design workshops. I'm asking them we're, we've got four problem statements we're going to work on. And at the end of the two and a half days, they're going to present their ideas with some wireframe drawings. I've got our partners drawing of tools. They want the industry to build for them so they can be better at their jobs. So it's, it's really fun. It's very academic. Uh, it's, it's abstract a little bit, but it's work they never get to do because they can never spend two days doing that stuff, but it, it's, it's work that's going to make them better at their jobs. Next time they got to go to a whiteboard and problem solve something with their team, they're going to have learned some new strategies for doing that from, mm-hmm. from this exercise. And what happens is when they do give, using your words here, the keys to the kingdom to someone else, what they're doing is showing they're okay by being vulnerable right? and allowing somebody else in there because they don't necessarily know everything. And there is nobody today who knows everything that they need to do. They need to allow those other people in. So that brings me to my question. You bring multiple industries together with IEI. Am I right? So multiple bring, segments of yeah, well, segments, yeah, yeah, multiple segments coming in. So you're bringing in technology, you're bringing in education and educators, but you're also bringing in the investors trying to do all of this and make this all work. How is that? What have been some of the challenges you've had trying to make that work? Well, I think you know, as we grow, I think you'll see more of the the private equity venture capital types, you know, really leaning in. To, to what we do and showing up right now, I think for a lot of them, they kind of follow us and, you know, we, we create a lot of the thought leadership content we create is really for industry leaders. We want the industry, including those who fund it through philanthropy or venture capital, we want them to pay attention to what we're doing. We want, if, if we're successful eight or 10 years from now, if the next uh, Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates wants to put $200 million into public schools, we want them to call us. Our superintendents will be able to tell them, because you can ask any one of them, whenever they see one of these big philanthropy initiatives, they're like, man, I wish, wish they would have called me. I could have told them how to spend money that would be effective, to, that would create effective outcomes for kids. A lot of times the ideas get workshopped in boardrooms and not in not district in offices, right? Yeah. And, and district offices are where the rubber meets the road for what has to get executed because they they know what the board is going to want and the community is going to want they understand what the teachers and they are going to want and what the kids need so um that's that's where i hope we we get so i think right now um the challenge is frankly for everyone just making time for this kind of work um convincing district leaders and board members that this is a real this is going to make your superintendent a better superintendent um it on paper, it can look like just a big party. It's not. Um, it's we work. We work pretty hard. We do. We do some kind of wellness activities. Like we had a basketball tournament at the last one. Like we do spend time doing things that are fun. But that's you know, 
I think in general, we're reckoning with the fact that we've made this job of district leadership superintendent uh, so hard and so emotionally taxing, particularly in places with high poverty, that we have to let these people take a break and, and, and let off some steam. And we might as well do so in a way that they can also gain ideas and insights that'll help them be better at their jobs. See, that goes back to part of sharpening the saw. You got to let the saw cool down in between your sharpens. Yeah. And you, you, that, that's what's going to do it. You got to make sure we're treating it. Um, and it goes also to the Eleanor Roosevelt quote from years ago. You can't brighten the path of another without brightening your own. So you've got to brighten your own path to be able to figure out what's going on. And so that brings me to a question. When we're looking at different levels, whether it's at the superintendent level, uh, the principal level to the teacher, the team leads, or wherever we are within that structure, there are some people who are still, and I'm going to use the term here, old school. Okay, now we've got that same challenge in many aspects of business too. Like, nope, I'm the boss. They want to do it that way. They don't quite get the change. And so sometimes when we're in a bureaucratic environment, that tends to be a little bit more prevalent. How do you uh, position yourselves to try and help bring it into the newer realm of things? You were talking about maybe changing the calendar a little bit, talking about changing the timelines for schools. I mean, those, the, the timelines and the school calendars were set 100 years ago for other reasons that made yeah. sense at that time. Sure. So how do you get people to get on board with that? Well, now everyone's used to it, though. I mean, what family doesn't plan for summer break? Oh, right? exactly. Well, everyone, this is the one, these three weeks between the 4th and the end of July are the, are the three weeks when every kid in America pretty much is on summer break. And everyone kind of plans for it. Um, that's a hard habit to break. So, you know, you got to do political work there. You got to go sell that concept to your community. And here's why a shorter summer break and more frequent breaks throughout the year are better for you, which is the model they use in places like Finland, more frequent breaks, but longer days overall. Um, so, you know, the, there are always going to be people who, um, I always tell people, you know, 75, if I had to guess, 75% of superintendents are not likely to travel out of state for anything, right? That's your kind of, you know, in some ways it's either old school mentality or it's, you know, I'm good. I, I read on my own. I don't, you know, I'm not a big extrovert. I don't like to go, you know, be in communities of people. I'm good. I, I've got my county superintendent meetings that keep me plugged in. And that's great. And that's just, that's, that, that will always be the way it's going to be. But the other 25% are, you know, trying to kind of grab every learning opportunity they can. And I think that they end up, it ends up becoming sort of a viral effect. They, they're kind of voracious curiosity about new stuff and going on the road and meeting new people filters out at the next county superintendent luncheon where, well, you're in Maryland, you guys only have counties. So I guess it'd be like regions or states for you, but a lot of states, you know, they could be like 30 districts in a county and they all have lunch together once a month and, you know, share out the work they're doing. And it kind of, it, you know, we, things, trends that you see in consumer life tend to hit K-12 five to 10 years later. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing that play out right now. Um, and I think you've seen, I think you've seen tech become in the consumer side, be more in tune with, with people and their, their bodies and their mental health. And now schools are starting to implement those kinds of solutions. Mm -hmm. And so we trail, I think in part, because the, the old school, if you're using that, that kind of framework, the old school versus new school takes a while to virally kind of get out there, but 
almost everybody in these jobs cares deeply about doing the right thing for kids. So if they hear about something through an old school channel and they know it's going to work for kids, they'll implement it. Right. Will they also then implement something from a new school channel? If you can get them, that, that, that's the problem with the job is it's not a place where unlike consumer world, consumers, they can see a Facebook ad, uh, they're, you know, I'm a big baseball fan. Like I know every commercial uh, uh, during Yankees radio broadcasts, like I can probably sing some of the theme songs to you, right? So that's how consumers find out about stuff. Through these channels, the typical kind of email and social doesn't reach a lot of people. So um, it just it just takes longer. And these are these are people who work, superintendents work almost exclusively on referrals from friends. They they dial a they they dial up a friend. Hey, what are you doing for? Because everyone's worried about security right now. Are we? Do we have all the security protocols in place for next fall, based on what we all just saw with the tragedy in Uvalde? And so they call each other. What are you doing? What are you doing? They trust each other almost more than anyone else, which is a very old school way to do business. But it's um, it's an effective way. It's worked for many years. So so that's why it just it just takes us a little longer. Because they're not going to read the emails that people send them. They're not going to look at social media posts. Most of them have someone who reads social media for them and tells them about any major issues. Yeah. So while it may be effective, it may not necessarily be efficient. Yeah, it takes longer, which is why, you know, as we grow, then we'll be able to become more of this kind of clearinghouse for these ideas. That's that's why we're, you know, but we don't want to grow too big because part of what our members like is that it's a small community and that's mm -hmm. that's important to us. So how do you bring these people together? How do you bring tech, education, and investment? How do you bring them together? Talk to us about your summits and how that works. Sure, yeah. So um, the, the partners, the, the industry people, they, um, they basically pay a sponsorship fee to come. And the superintendents are largely uh, members of our group. Uh, some of them are... Uh, guests who are coming as through a referral. It's all referral based on the same thing I was just saying about word of mouth. And so we have a process that we use for getting the districts to communicate what they're working on and what their big goals are. And they communicate that through our process. Our partners look at the districts who are coming, look at their, their stated goals. And then we have a map. They sort of prioritize how they, who they want to try to spend time with. Then the partners all present to the entire room when we first get on site. And then our superintendent members go onto our app and they put in their preferences based on, they just hear, it's not a long presentation. It's a two minute intro talk. Hi, I'm Doug, I'm from the Institute for Education and we help blah, blah, blah. Like you, we train them, we train our partners how to do this little two minute talk so that it becomes a sorting exercise. Yep, because we refer to it in a lot of places as your elevator speech. Yep, exactly. It's, it's, but it's not a pitch per se. It's more like, I want to tell you exactly what we do, because this is about finding if you need to talk to us, then put us on your list. And then our matching algorithm sets up short 25 minute one-to-one -one meetings the following day. And those one-to-one -one meetings are, they work because the soups for the most part chose to meet with the vendor. There's nothing, this is when I started this, all the soups I was working with, they're like, just let us choose who we meet with. And we're going to really dive into it. They hate being put into a room with a vendor that's not a good fit for what they're looking to do at that moment. Absolutely. And so they're like, I'll talk to those people outside of the meetings, but in the formal meeting time, 
help make the list as close as possible to what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'll be able to, you know, learn as much as possible from this. So it becomes the best learning experience they have with us is what they tell us. So that's the bread and butter of it. There's some relationship building activities. There's, uh, there are sessions where we kind of help each other work on various things we're working on or help each other negotiate contracts or um, talk through, you know, we have a session called five minutes of fame where soups get up and just, I just give them the floor. You got something you want to tell us about for five minutes that you've been working on something you're proud of something that's been a struggle. Um, and you know, you'll get, you'll get first year superintendents going after 30 year veteran superintendents and they just give a reflection and we record it and we publish it on our podcast because we want the world to know what these people are working on and thinking about. And, you know, we really want to elevate the status of superintendents kind of in, in the landscape of our industry. What challenges are you still facing at IEI trying to bring these people together now? You mean internally here? Well, both internally, and let's look at both internally and then externally mm-hmm. trying to bring the people together. Yeah. All right. So there are, there's just the pandemic stuff. There mm-hmm. are people who feel guilty leaving their district, district leaders. So they feel, you know, they want to make sure everything is, is going to be, you know, heading into a new year. So it's all starting over again. Is there going to be another uh, wave of COVID that gets through the vaccines? You know, like there, there's all kinds of worries about that and coming off of that. And I think there's some very real PTSD out there, just generally. Um, people like organizational fatigue um, and so, and some politics. So, you know, as these, you know, and it comes down to these board meetings, if these board meetings have people all upset and heated about this issue or that issue, the, the gun thing is going to be the, probably the big one this fall. And you've got a midterm election. So you're going to have in some places, you're going to have people come out and talk about, uh, critical race theory and, and all of that kind of stuff. And that's, it's really hard to not be there when that's happening, even if the board meetings on a Thursday and IEI ends on a Wednesday, you show up flat footed and your board could be like, Hey, we needed you here to help us these last few days as we got these 4,000 emails. So that's always a challenge. And I think the pandemic has made that has made those moments even more challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, I think second, exacerbated it. yeah. The second thing is just like, you know, it's, it's, we can't, we can't be everything to everyone. And for us, it's just figuring out exactly what our, what our niche is and making sure we're really good at it, making sure we can scale it. Always a challenge with an in-person event, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to find ways to reach more superintendents without them having to travel to our event. And that's something we're working on in the future. Um, going to, you're going to be doing them virtually. No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Definitely I not. I a little tongue in cheek on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, just different ways to engage yeah. that are not, that are much lighter. Um, yeah. Right. So we're looking into that. Um, we're also facing a time when you have, this is the highest turnover we've ever had of superintendents. It's like double what it normally is because a lot of people are leaving the profession. And so what is that? What are the impacts on educational leadership? generally speaking, as you have a ton of rookies trying to figure out the new jobs, and a lot of them are going to feel like they want to stay close to home those first few months, which makes sense. Um, And then you just have this, there's always this, um, there are some companies that want to work with school districts, but just don't, they they don't get it. They don't necessarily want to do the work to kind of really craft the solution around the problems instead of saying, you know, education is the one thing where everybody has 
18 years or whatever, 13 years of experience. Most people have gone to a public school for 13 years, right? Or if they went to a private school, it's not terribly dissimilar when you think of the big picture, right? Everybody went to school for 13 years. So a lot of people have developed opinions about what they think is good and is not good in schools. And you get a couple of bucks behind you when you go build your solution. You know, your idea might be genius. It also might not. But, you know, we're always trying to get people to come to the table and, and talk with us and let us help and let us coach because these, these superintendents are really in our crew. They're very good at seeing the big picture and, um, you know, taking a real interest in a founder at any stage of his or her development of the company and helping them be better at what they do. Because if the companies are better, then we're going to be better at our jobs. Right. Because again, I go back and I've used this quote several times in our podcast. John Kennedy said, a rising tide raises all ships. And when you get both sides working together, we're going to raise the education level and the education quality of our students from K to 12. And I think that's, that's the ultimate goal that we're looking for. Yeah. I would say too, because I know you, you focus a lot on, on, on helping teams and helping teams grow. There's been a real sense in the last couple of years, empathy has become a big part of what we do in public education uh, more, as more of a kind of value and as an activity versus just, I care about you. It's, well, I'm now, uh, our district leadership team is going to go give the principal and her school administrator team a four-day weekend, and we're going to run your school for two days so you can get a break from all this tough stuff you've been doing, right? Uh, we're now putting teacher wellness rooms in every school so teachers can do yoga, uh, meditate, whatever, um, exercise, uh, like taking real action to go beyond just, I care about you, but let me show you structurally within our school system, how yeah, we care about our just, staff. Get away from just lip service of saying, we care about you. Right. And yeah. not just teachers, school bus drivers, uh, janitors, right. It, like make sure the staff knows that we're really glad you're here. And we know that you have a choice of place mm -hmm. to work. And, you know, cause we're now we're competing with everybody in town for a dwindling workforce of bus drivers and teachers aides. And, you know, and that's, we, we want to make sure we provide a really good environment for people who work here. Now, Herb Kelleher, uh, the founder of Southwest airlines used to always say our number one customer is not our customer. Our number one customer is our employee. When we take care of our employee, our employee will take care of our customer. Right. So if we can get superintendents, principals, uh, administrators to, to through the teachers and the teachers' aides to realize they take care of each other, in turn they will take care of the student, which is the ultimate customer there. Yep, student and the family, and that's yeah, that's something we've been real. You know, we had a whole session talking about this. Our winter retreat was talking about strategies we're using to um, to make sure that our staff feels valued and feels that we're we're looking after their wellness. Um, and, you know, you've seen, I mean, you don't see school districts make decisions quickly. Um, districts that, they, and I know, cause a bunch of them are in our group and they were all texting each other and they heard about it through, through the grapevine that they all just decided, I'm going to go ask my board at my meeting before Thanksgiving, if we can just close school that entire week, cause everyone is stressed out. And especially for in masks all the time, like everyone's just done. And so you had all these districts vote, you know, three days before Thanksgiving break to extend Thanksgiving break by two days just give everyone a week off. Like that's the kind of, you know, kind of innovation that, you know, you have to, you have to be in a certain position in your district and your tenure mm -hmm. to suggest, 
because if it comes from you and not the board, um, it could seem like, you know, you're trying to avoid work. But when everyone saw how hard all these people worked throughout this pandemic, contact tracing is a time intensive operation. And it's not like, you know, they, in some districts, they hired some people to help with it. But a lot of times it was like all hands on deck. We got to do contact tracing. And that just, that, that adds to the burnout factor. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think we're getting to the point of more frequent breaks and going to a longer school year is going to work. Europe has been dealing with this on the education side, but they've also been dealing with it in the business side for years in the fact that I met a uh, family years ago, this, that year that I met them, they were coming over for their one month holiday and they were touring Texas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the year before they took their one month holiday and toured California. One month holiday before that they toured New England. They wanted to, they take it and they enjoy and they take a whole month to do that. Yeah. It's a different, different approach. Yeah. You're, you're seeing a push for a, a more balanced calendar in a lot of these districts. Um, but you know, it's not going to work for every community and um, yeah, you have to kind of wade through those discussions. So that's, that's the kind of stuff we talk about. Like I'm thinking about changing the calendar in my district. Anybody got any ideas? You know, that's, well, that's and again, it's, it's changing the calendar in the district because each district even, and you're right here in Maryland, where I live, we've got uh, 24 jurisdictions, 23 counties in the city of Baltimore. Okay. So there's 24 and they all are autonomous in their own way. But what works in one county or one just district may or may not work in another, just the same way that in school, a student, you may have a set of students who are really good at are learning one way. And then there's a couple of students who are not. And it's identifying how things are going to work with different people. And I find that just absolutely fascinating over the years that it all comes back to recognizing the different people that we have and what's going to work for us. Yep. Yep. That's, that's leadership, right? Mm -hmm. So talk to me about IEI and how many folks are employed with IEI? Well, it's summer. So we got a couple of interns, um, oh, but yeah. so we're, we, we've grown to about eight right now, but mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're going to be six or seven as we head into next school year, for sure. We're um, you know, it's always, we're always trying to find good people. We're not, mm -hmm growing super quickly. And this is not a venture capital backed thing, but, um, but we have, we have tripled in the last couple of years. So, right. um, so what yeah, are the challenges a, you're having yeah. about bringing people on board? Um, well, I think the workforce right now is pretty mobile, right? And I think that the people, like when, when I was 25, I feel like the people who were my managers then considered us to be mobile. So I think it just, it's a, it's a trend, right? Like that's, it's people, you know, they, they, they browse uh, jobs. And so they're, people are much more willing to go someplace for two months and say, eh, this is not for me and move on. And, you know, we have, it's, I think us figuring out how to, how to, how to suss out the right fit is, is always the challenge and find people. There are a lot of people on the market, but if you post on LinkedIn, Hey, we're hiring a director of marketing, you get 4 million resumes. And so is that, the best approach. I'm not sure we're, mm -hmm. we're trying to work all that out, but um, it's very important for us that, that the fit is right. And that, uh, you know, because we host these events, they need to be able to kind of, you know, interact with and talk to the superintendents. That's really important. So it has to, it has to be a good fit on that level. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you just have to, 
you know, work through the process, but we have a really amazing team. Um, and I'm really, we, we started to hire people who um, do things that are really disconnected from the superintendents, like our operations person, right? She sits in, and, and writes code and looks at data. And the fact that we have that now, I think is a sign of our, you know, kind of growth. And that's really, I think, you know, what, what the future looks like probably for us a little bit more mm-hmm. versus, uh, you know, me going around and slapping backs and shaking hands and, you know, saying hi to people, you know, it's, we, we built the beginning of it through relationships, but now we have to, the next few years have to be about efficiency and scale. Right. In the superintendent's world, there's multiple schools. Each school has its own culture. How do you recommend and what do you do about being able to lead multiple forces for that superintendent? Are there things that you're teaching them about changing the culture in one school? Even even through a feeder schools, it's possible to have all those cultures just different. What do you do to try and bring up the consistency factor there? Is there anything in particular that IEI does to help? I mean, look, we just, we just convene the conversation. The content is usually each other. Mm-hmm. So like you, I'm like you're doing on this, in this chat, I'm just asking big questions and getting them to talk to each other. What are you doing to work on this? So there's always sort of a theme, mm-hmm. but you know, one of the problem statement statements we're going to work on at the Newport event is related to progress monitoring. So okay. I don't think we have good, um, there are good uh, norm referenced assessments we can use to monitor student academic progress, especially in literacy and early math. We have a ton of these things we can give to kids so we can see how they are compared with national norms and help their family understand exactly, you know, where they need to get some extra help, et cetera. Right. We're not so good at, we're not so good at tracking our progress as a system and making sure that all of our different, you know, feeder zones you referenced are doing well or are, are, are growing at a, at a similar rate. Then the other thing we talk about a lot is you have to factor in that, you know, in certain districts, districts, particularly where there are large, you know, large systems that were once subject to redlining, you know, those socioeconomic injustices don't just disappear overnight. Like they're, they're with you for years and years. And you have to be able to, when you're looking at monitoring progress, you have to take into account that in some parts of a County or a city, there may be places that are, you know, um, fighting a, a more, a greater uphill challenge than other parts of exactly. that city or County and making sure we understand that context. So, um, I think that that's, those are two things we're always thinking about. And, you know, we we're trying to share strategies and we're actually going to work on a district progress monitoring solution idea when we get together in a few weeks. And I encourage you and everyone else to check out the video we publish of that, of that pitch and see what you think of what we did. Awesome. That's, that's going to be exciting to see how things are changing. And it's definitely a fluid, fluid environment right now yeah. between dealing with guns and everything of that nature, um, the violence that are going on in the schools, the socioeconomic challenges, the pandemic challenges. There's so many things it's trying to, it's literally solving a Rubik's cube at this point. That's, that's what I'm noticing. Yeah. That's the complexity of this job because it's it's kids, it's their their parents and families, it's it's people's lives, yeah. um, and we've now asked the school district to take on all these additional things that when when we were kids, 
you know, um, if we needed to, if we needed healthcare, uh, that was in a separate place. If we needed uh, social emotional support or mental mental health care, um, some people might have been like, "What's that?" Or <laughs> you'd go somewhere else, right? Um, today and uh, today, districts and increasingly too, the federal um, free and reduced lunch program has expanded. So districts are now feeding way more kids than they used to, kids in need. So school districts have had to become this kind of full service social agency. And um, that's it's not, not what they were originally intended for, but they've had to become right. That. Right. That's not what Ben. So they've got, they don't have enough talent in these new areas, these social, emotional, mental health areas. They're trying to, they're all trying to bring in more experts to come and work in the school district. And, you know, there's a big, like, if you, if you want to be a school psychologist, this is a great time to enter that profession because every district needs one, it seems. And, you know, that's, it's very complex to, to transform the services an agency provides, especially, and I think the pandemic made it clear that we need more of these services. So, you know, everyone's just trying to answer the bell. We're doing this interview and it's in the middle of the summer. So we're going to be anxious to see what happens through the fall of the year. And as we move through this upcoming school year on so many different levels, Doug, it's been a privilege to have you on board here with us at the teamwork advantage. Um, if people need to reach out to you and learn a little bit more about IEI, what's the best way? Oh, thanks. Yeah, they can go uh, on our Twitter feed at IEI underscore K-12. You can find me, Doug Roberts, on LinkedIn. We also have a page out there. Uh, and we're institute for for ed, ed innovation.com. And uh, come, come holler at us. Cool. Well, again, I really appreciate the time. And, you know, folks, once a week with the Teamwork Advantage, you get ideas and skills that you can start to implement on immediately. And today we focused in on education somewhat, yet take some of the ideas that Doug shared with us and look at your own business. Are you being innovative in doing things, whether you're in the education world or not? Until next week, you know my philosophy. Having a good day is just being average. When you listen to the Teamwork Advantage, we know you're not average. So go make today an excellent and exceptional day. Until next week, take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.